Welcome to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb, helping you find purpose and joy in your life and relationships. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com. Well, it's time for another look at Jeremiah, the book, the man, and the man's God. All three of those topics we're going to be thinking about. Now, I've titled these talks, The Success of a Failed Prophet. And that title, I think, will become clear to you as we get into the um, into the conversation. Now, for some of you, um, this may be the first message that you're hearing in a four-part series on the success of a failed prophet. And if this is the first time on, uh, welcome. Glad you're here. And others of you have listened to the first message, and now you're listening to the second message. So welcome back. So let's get into the topic of Jeremiah. Now, one one key question got me thinking about this book of Jeremiah as I was preparing to deliver some messages on this. One key thought was uh, presented to me by a pastor friend of mine a couple of years ago when he said something I didn't know, and maybe you haven't known, that Jeremiah is the second longest book in the Bible. Psalms is the first longest book in the Bible. And some of you might be saying, no, wait a minute. Jeremiah has 52 chapters and Isaiah has 66 chapters. So isn't Isaiah the second longest book in the Bible? And the answer is no, it's not. And here's why. In Isaiah's 52 chapters, there are more Hebrew words in those 52 chapters than there are in all the 66 chapters of Jeremiah. So we start with this obvious fact now that Jeremiah is the second longest book in the Bible. Well, that raises another question. Why did God devote so many Hebrew words, more Hebrew words than any other book in the Bible, including the New Testament in Greek? Why did God devote the second longest book in the Bible to the story of a failed prophet? Known as the weeping prophet, this guy's life was miserable. For 40 years of ministry, no results, and he was hurting almost all the time, had a few moments of excitement, but mostly it was just dreary failure. And why would he do that? And the difficulty that I see with that is, when I say he's a failed prophet, what I mean is 40 years of ministering God's word, and there were no results. Well, when I thought about that, I've had to realize, well, that can't be. And there's a reason why it can't be, because of what God said in Isaiah, and in chapter 55 and, and verse um, verse 1, um, God said through Isaiah something really important. This is the, another slide I want you to look at. Um, he, he said that whenever whenever I speak, God's speaking, when, whenever I speak, the words that I speak are going to go into the ears of my prophet and out of their mouths. So it's going to be my word. And here's the verse in Isaiah 55, 11, My word shall not return to me empty. Other translations have the word void. My word shall not return to me empty but it shall, that's definitive, it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. Well, I believe that, because that's God's word, and that's God's word through Jeremiah, but it doesn't look like there's any results. So the question is, what purpose was accomplished in 40 years of a failed ministry? Uh, 40 years of a fruitless ministry, at least apparently, and what is the what is the, what in in his forty years of speaking did God think of as success? And just a beginning thought as we get into some thoughts on Jeremiah, is he redefining what the word success means? Do we in the Western culture have a very different definition of success than God has? 
how is God looking down on a pastor's ministry, on my ministry, on each of your ministries, whatever you're doing, being friendly to neighbors, your ministries, whatever they are? What does success mean? I wonder if that's what we're going to see in, in, in Jeremiah. Now, many of us know that in order to understand the meaning of a text in Scripture, or rather a whole book for that matter, um, context is always crucial. You've got to see the setting in which these verses were written. All these long words in Hebrew are written. And so I began to, um, to think a little bit about um, the situation in Judah when Jeremiah began preaching. He was called to be God's prophet to the land of Judah. He also spoke to uh, Israel, but he was called to speak to the land of Judah in 627 BC when he was probably about 18 years old, less than 20. What was going on in those days in Judah? What was the context into which Jeremiah was called to speak? Well, first observation, life in Judah seemed to be going well because they finally had a godly king, a guy named Josiah. And Josiah, in 629, two years before Jeremiah began preaching, he instituted a revival, a real reformation of sorts. He did a little more revival a couple of years later, but he started this revival, and uh, people got excited. They listened to Josiah's preaching, and uh, they were kind of into it. But the fact of the matter is, you read the book of Jeremiah, it began to become very clear that the ministry that Josiah, uh, that Josiah had in mind and was instituting, it stirred a lot of excitement, but it didn't reach deep into anybody's heart. There was no real change in the people other than they were excited at an exciting church service, basically. Nothing really happened. That's one thing that was in the context when Jeremiah <clears throat> began to speak. There's a second thing. They were under the leadership of Assyria. They were controlled by the Assyrian Empire, the most powerful empire of, his, of its day. <clears throat> but right during the time that Jeremiah began to preach, Assyria was beginning to crumble, and the Jews were kind of excited about that at one level. Are we going to be finally independent of external control? Are we going to be God's independent people being able to do things as we want to do them without having to worry about paying taxes to Assyria and not offending this big bad enemy? Well, they were beginning to crumble, and they were excited that maybe things are going to go better for the land of Judah, but they also were worried because another nation named Babylon was just starting to grow and to get on the horizon. So they were both shallow in their repentance under the revival led by Josiah, and they were uncertain about their future because Assyria was crumbling and Babylon was rising. What was going to happen? They didn't know. So into a country of God's people whose religion was questionable at best and whose future was uncertain at best, God picks Jeremiah. Why would he do that? It's a puzzle. He was probably 18 years old, and he was picked to become the prophet, and God spoke to him in Jeremiah chapter 1, and Jeremiah's response was, I'm not qualified. I've got no experience public speaking. Um, I, I don't know what I'm doing. You want me to go talk to the nations of Judah and Israel and other nations as well? I'm a kid. I'm just a homegrown guy, and I don't know what I'm doing. You've made a bad choice. Well, when I thought about that, just by <clears throat> reading the first couple of verses in Jeremiah chapter 1, I thought God has a habit of doing rather strange things um, and picking people that you wouldn't expect to be picked. First, he picks Jeremiah, 18-year-old kid, to be a major prophet to the land of Judah. Earlier, he picked Moses, and that was strange. 
first he, he has he picks this 18 year old guy and then earlier he picked an 80 year old man and he picked him to deliver Egypt from deliver Israel from Egypt why would he pick Moses this old guy and Moses as you recall he wasn't interested in this either he said God I, I don't know how to speak I'm not a good speaker the evidence that some scholars believe is that's indicated by Moses words that he wasn't a good speaker he probably was a stutterer well I used to be a stutterer and I know what it's like to, to stutter and make a fool of myself in front of people. And I think Moses was just really insecure. Was he going to get be, get before Pharaoh and he's going to say, let, let, let my pe pe people go. That's going to not really work out so well. And he was saying, God, you picked the wrong guy. And God said, no, I didn't. You're, you're the man. And I'm telling you to go. First a teenager, then an old man. And centuries later, God sent a baby. Another choice that doesn't look really very good. 18-year-old guy, 80-year-old guy, and now a baby to come into the world to redeem the world. Well, that was obviously a very good choice. But then one more choice I want to mention briefly, just to show how God is so very, very unpredictable. He picks a guy named Saul, a Pharisee, who hated Christianity. And he was his ministry was to kill Christians and to destroy this crazy new sect under this heretic named Jesus. He hated Christianity. Why did God choose him, turn him from Saul into Paul, and then use this man who formerly hated Christianity to spread the word that there's nothing more wonderful than Christianity through his letters and through his, his speaking and preaching? Major strange choices. Now, if that's really true, then don't be surprised if you're chosen. I shouldn't be surprised if I'm chosen. Another slide puts it this way. Don't be surprised that God is up to something of unequaled good. Don't be surprised that God is up to something of unequaled good during this pandemic. Could that be through me, through the church, through you? Look for it. What is the good he's wanting to do through me, through you? Look for it. Trust him. God's plan requires his powerful love to bring matchless good through human suffering. So we have a part to play. Just want you to think about that as I get into it. Not a very marketable message, I'm sure. But again, back to the key question that got me thinking about the book of Jeremiah. Why did God write such a long book about a failed prophet who never wanted to be one? Well, if we're going to make some sense out of that, I want us to realize that when Jeremiah said, I don't think I'm your man, I'm too young, and I'm not a very good speaker, I have no experience in this, it's pretty clear that Jeremiah was not rebelling against God. He was feeling unqualified for the ministry that God gave him. Why was that? Well, I think that Jeremiah, if you know the context, which I want to get into now for a few minutes, I want you to understand that Jeremiah likely had some expectations for his life that were entirely different than God has for him. And that's true of everybody. It certainly is true of me. I had certain expectations of my life. I'm 75 years old. This is not what I was expecting when I was in my 20s, not at all. Now, what, what was Jeremiah's, what was he expecting? What was going on? Well, one thing we know <clears throat> about Jeremiah was that he was raised in a, a little village, not a very big village, not a very important village, about three miles outside of Jerusalem called Anathoth. And I can relate a little bit because when I first became aware of God's call, I was about 30 years old. I had just written a book. I had preached a little bit, and I was getting a bit of a reception, and people were listening to me, and that kind of scared me. Am I saying anything worthwhile? People are actually coming to listen to me talk. I'm not sure if I like this idea. 
And one night when I was really kind of uncomfortable with what I was sensing was God's call in my life, my family and I, my wife and two sons, very young at the time, um, we went over to Sanibel Island, a, a town on the western coast of Florida in the Gulf of Mexico, and I couldn't sleep. I was really disturbed that God was calling me to something that wasn't my plan at all. I couldn't sleep. I got up and I walked out on a pier into the Gulf. It was late at night, probably midnight, maybe one in the morning. A beautiful night. Moon was shining. The water was, was still. And I walked out on this pier, which seemed to me like it went 50 yards out into the, into the Gulf. I'm not sure how far it went. And I screamed at God for probably 30 minutes and saying, I'm not your man. Just like Jeremiah, just like Moses, maybe like Saul. I don't know. Certainly not like Jesus. He accepted the call rather with a great welcome, knowing it was God's call for his life. But I wasn't happy about it. And I just was fussing and saying, God, what I really had in mind, I want to be a nice psychologist with a nice private practice, go to a nice church, maybe preach a little bit, have a nice little ministry, maybe write a book or two, I'm not sure. But let me have a nice, comfortable life with my family. That's what I wanted. I heard nothing that night. I was yelling at God literally for 30 minutes. I heard nothing. And I just kind of gave up and walked back to our little cottage where we were staying. And looking back on it now, what I would say, I was defeated into surrender. Is that the way the call of God sometimes comes, to be defeated into surrender? Well, maybe you can understand now why Jeremiah is my favorite Old Testament character, because he was kind of defeated into surrender, and he became a... Oh, a weeping prophet. Let me take it a step further. I want you to stay with this because this is a this is a Bible study. I want you to see what's going on in the scriptures that can make the book of Jeremiah a little more more relevant and powerful. Perhaps it's, it's doing so in my life. Perhaps it'll do it in yours. Things can get a little bit um, complicated here. You, know, you need to know this. Many even know this that Jeremiah's father was a man named Hilkiah. And he was a priest in Anathoth, a little insignificant town. So he was a rather insignificant priest. He wasn't in the temple in Jerusalem. He was just a nice guy, probably a godly man, who had a son named Jeremiah, who now a late teenager. And there's something that you need to know that is going to make everything really clear as soon as I put the slide up here. As soon as you see this next slide, everything's going to become clear. Here's the slide. Anathoth was the ancestral home of Abiathar. Let me say it again, very important. Anathoth was the ancestral home of Abiathar. Did all the lights go on? Maybe not. Let me explain to you why I think that's very, very important. Now, this is a little bit of complicated history, so a bunch of names that we're not familiar with, so do what you can to stay with them, and I'll try to say as well as I can to pronounce them properly, or at least to come close. Well, here's the story of why it's important that Anathoth was the ancestral home of a guy named Abiathar. In the closing years of King David's reign and the early years of Solomon, um, Solomon was approaching the throne knowing that David was soon going to die, there were two priests that were rather prominent, and they got into some contention, they got into some conflict. One was named Abiathar, and the other was Zadok, Z-A-D-O-K. Now, Abiathar was a priest under King David, and he had served him well for a number of years. He was popular with David, and things were going well. But he knew that David was going to die, and Solomon was going to take over. And now the question was, who was going to be Abiathar's successor? Who was going to become the priest to the king? Well, there was another man that wanted the job, or that maybe was likely for the job at least, named Adonijah. 
And Adonijah was the older brother of the future king, Solomon. Abiathar went to bat for Adonijah. Zadok wanted to become the priest under Solomon. He didn't want Adonijah. He didn't want Adonijah to become the priest under Solomon. So he finagled, I don't know how it happened, but he ended up anointing Solomon. So he got into Solomon's good favor by the man who, who anointed Solomon as the next king of, of Judah and Israel at the time. Um, and so he became, he became the next priest. He was going to be the successor. He became the successor of Abiathar. So what happened to Abiathar? You got a pardon. I'm in my loft upstairs, and this is going to ring for just another moment or two. Let's take a little pause as we listen to modern technology interrupting something here. It's going to ring about twice more. Then you'll be able to hear me again without the interruption. I meant to turn that off before we started, and I didn't. So here we go back again. When Solomon became king, he anointed Adonijah. He chose Adonijah to be his priest. And in the process, he killed, Solomon killed Adonijah, his older brother, and he banished he banished Abiathar to this little insignificant town in Anathoth. Now, what you need to understand is Abiathar, now a priest in Anathoth, one of his descendants was Hilkiah. And Hilkiah recognized that he had been among the priests that were stuck in Anathoth with no important place at all and was very aware that the priests in the temple in Jerusalem were really a corrupt bunch, starting with Zadok and on now down to the current priest. And the priest in the temple at the time was a man named Pesher when Jeremiah was preaching. So keep all that in your mind and realize that now you have a guy named Jeremiah raised by a priest outside the sphere of influence in Judah, Hilkiah, no doubt a godly man, very burdened about the corruption that was going on in the temple under false priests and false prophets. And Jeremiah was told by God, I want you to go wherever I send you. And at one point that included the temple, not only all of Jerusalem and all of Judah um, and all of Israel as well, but he wanted him to preach at the, at the temple. And if I'm Jeremiah, I'm thinking, I don't like this guy. I'm not comfortable going there. They don't like me. I've been banished. I'm an insignificant. I'm just a kid. I'm 19, 20 years old, been preaching now for a little bit, so I'm a little bit older now. But I'm not very comfortable with this God. I really don't think I have any desire to go. And, and his message was very unpopular. He was going to bring an unpopular message of repentance to the corruption that was going on in the priesthood and the kings and the elders and other citizens of Judah, his message was very, very difficult, very, very unpopular. So here, Jeremiah, we're told in chapter 19 of Jeremiah, that in order to, to indicate the message that he was going to bring to Judah, that he already had been bringing now for a little while, he was told to go to the garbage dump just outside of Jerusalem. And he was told, get a pot, and I want you to smash it in front of some of the elders, some of the priests. And when the, when the pot is smashed, uh, this uh, take all the pieces of that pot, spread them around the garbage dump and say, that's what I'm going to do to Judah. If you people don't repent, this is your future. Well, after he said that in the garbage dump of Israel, then under the Spirit's leading, no doubt, he came back to Jerusalem. He went to the temple 
and he proclaimed the same message. He said in the presence of Pashur, now a high priest, perhaps a descendant of Zadok, but certainly an ungodly man, wanting Judah to go fabulously well without repentance. God should bless us because we're God's people. We don't need to be godly. We don't need to be holy. We don't need to take God's life into consideration. We don't need to speak his message. We know what God wants. He wants success for Jerusalem. And here this heretic prophet Jeremiah is coming up, this insignificant guy from Anathoth, and he's telling us that everything's going to go bad. Well, Asher got really, really mad because he heard Jeremiah say this, and this is the summary of a lot of what Jeremiah said, but this is what he said in Pastor's hearing. It's the next slide, and it's Jeremiah 19. Listen to what he said. This is what the God of Israel says. Jeremiah is speaking now in the hearing of Pasher. I will bring disaster. I will bring disease. Disaster is a good enough word there. I will bring disease upon the city and its surrounding towns, as I have promised, because you have stubbornly refused to listen to me. Now, Pastor's response, he didn't like that a bit. He said, this is just false teaching. It's as wrong as it can be. And what he did, he actually got a hold of Jeremiah and he had him whipped. And whipping back in those days was very significant. And he put him in the stocks for a day. Now, I want you just to picture, here's Jeremiah. He's now maybe, we're not sure how old he was, maybe 30, something like that. He preached for 40 years. He began when he was about 20. So maybe 10 years into it, maybe a little bit more than that, actually. He's being whipped, and he's in the stocks for preaching God's word. Did he ever think back on what God said in Jeremiah chapter 1, where God said, Jeremiah, I'm going to protect you. Don't be afraid. Go do what I say. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to protect you. Those two phrases, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to protect you are both in the first part of the book of Jeremiah. Now, picture Jeremiah being beaten, being put in stocks. I think the question would be, God, what are you protecting me from? I wonder if anybody in the pandemic is thinking the same thing. God, you know how to still the waters. You did that in the boat, that famous story in Luke. God, you're in charge of the winds and the waves. You're in charge of... uh, the environment. You're in charge of everything, whether it rains, whether infection spreads, and you're not protecting us. What is God protecting us from? Maybe the same thing that he was protecting Jeremiah from. What did he protect Jeremiah from? From quitting. Somehow, in the heart of Jeremiah, he kept him staying on course, staying on track for the direction that God led him. That's an important message for me to hear today. Um, I don't like the pandemic any more than you do. It's a, it's, a tough, it's a tough road. And being sheltered inside and being scared of getting the disease and knowing loved ones that maybe are in, in line to die, um, God, what are you doing? You're protecting me from giving up on you. You're protecting me from saying, God, you're the failure. You're not doing things right. Um, you should be doing things a lot better than you are. And I don't want to quit. God's not protecting me from a lot of what I wish I were protected from. So far, I don't have the disease. I'm happy for that. Has God protected me from it? Perhaps. But that's not a guarantee protection. But he's protecting me from quitting. Jeremiah never gave up on God. He never quit. Now, one of the ways I know that, 40 years of ministry, that didn't work well. He was prophesying. He was hated. People from Anathoth, his own family, wanted to kill him. 
A little later, after that particular plot against his life came, he was plotted again by other people in Jerusalem that tried to kill him. And, and, and Jeremiah didn't quit. And the reason I know that, if you look at Jeremiah 51, the next to the last chapter in the long uh, book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 52, of course, is in the, the final chapter of the book, but that wasn't written by Jeremiah. The last chapter tells us that Jeremiah is now in Egypt. Most of the Jews, most of the citizens of Judah have already been deported from by Babylon back to Babylon. Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar seized the, the city of Jerusalem, and they took all the most of the people in Jerusalem and brought them into Babylon. They were now living there as exiles, obviously. There was a handful, there were a handful, it was a handful of Jews still living in, in Jerusalem, and Jeremiah was among them. And Jeremiah's message from God, the word of God again, which never returns empty, but looks, it seemed like it did, because he said to them, you, you're feeling really badly now. Almost everybody else is in Babylon, and you're in this ruined city of rubble, just like the pot that I smashed in the garbage dump. We're now the garbage dump of Jerusalem, and I'm telling you to stay here, and God's going to take care of you if you stay here. And the remnant of Jews that were in Jerusalem said, no way, we don't believe that. We came to you, Jeremiah, and said, well, do whatever God says. And then you told us to stay here. Well, we're not going to do what God says. We can't believe God would have us do that. We're going to go to Egypt for protection and safety. And we heard what you said, Jeremiah, that if we go to Egypt, it's not going to turn out well for us, but it makes sense to us. So we're going to go to Egypt. They went to Egypt. They took Jeremiah with them. And now Jeremiah, I don't know how old he is, but if he started at 20 and now it's 40 years of ministry, at least 60, I suppose, maybe a little bit more, obviously. And here he is in Egypt on his last days. And the last thing that we're told that Jeremiah did was to write a letter. He still ministering. He didn't quit. He wrote a letter to the exiles in Jerusalem. And the essential message of his letter was this, Babylon is going to be destroyed. Babylon is going to be destroyed. And the implication is Judah is going to be restored. His last words and the last phrase in chapter 51, the last verse and the last phrase in the last verse of that particular chapter says, these are the last words of Jeremiah. To the end, he maintained his ministry. That challenges me. I want to finish well. And there are days I don't want to finish well. There are days I want to quit. There are days I'm tired of the whole thing. There are days I don't see happening what I wish were happening. There are days I don't see that I've preached a lot of sermons. I've written a bunch of books. Do I see some people different? Sure. Do I see some impact in my life? Yeah, I really do. And I'm grateful for it. Do I wish there were a lot more? I really do. Am I going to quit? Well, things can get discouraging when you walk the narrow road. Another example comes to my mind, just a brief diversion here into the life of Moses. You remember that he, at age 80, was called to get the Jews out of Egypt. And he did that rather successfully, obviously, under God's power and strength, obviously, as well. And they get into the other side of the, of the Jordan, and they're um, ready now to take their trek of 11 days to the promised land, took 40 years because of their rebellion, and Moses led them for 40 years. But at the beginning of that trek through the wilderness, the Jews very quickly got upset. 
and they were whining. That's the word that's used in one of the translations in Numbers chapter 11. They were whining about, you take us in this miserable land, this wilderness. We were better off in Egypt. You're a lousy leader. We ought to get a different leader to take us back to Egypt where, yeah, we were slaves, but at least we had some food to eat. Here we have nothing, no water. We're tired of it. And Jeremiah, or Moses rather, he was really, really aggravated. He was ticked. And in Numbers eleven fifteen, the next slide says this. This is Moses now, very discouraged. God, he's talking to God. God, if this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Is that something a godly man could say? If this is how you intend to treat me, God, you're letting me down. Your goodness is in question. Your love for me is evident. And if this is what you're going to do for the rest of my life, I want no parts of it. I wish you'd take my life. I don't want to live a miserable life of serving you. Well, Moses was close to quitting. We all know he didn't quit. And he even continued in his ministry. Deuteronomy tells us this in chapter 33. He even continued his ministry after 40 years of leading a bunch of stiff-necked Jews. That's the phrase that's used in the Jewish scripture. After leading these millions of Jews that were not cooperative for the most part at all. And then Jeremiah, because of one big mistake that he made, remember the story of the rock? At one time, he, he, um, he struck a rock and water came out. And now later, Jeremiah or Moses again is getting very, very upset with the Jewish people. And God again is going to bring water out of a rock. And he had, um, he had struck the rock before. But now God says to Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. Moses was riled up. He was mad at the Jews. And so he just took a staff and he smote the rock totally against God's direction. And because of that one big sin, it looked like a big sin to me, but it wasn't God's eyes. God said, after all these 40 years of leading people to the promised land, you're not going to go into them. You're not going to enter the land. And the last thing Moses did, he's now 120 years old, 40 years of ministry, just like Jeremiah, 40 years of ministry. The last thing that he did is there in the land of Moab on the outskirts of Canaan, the promised land, Israel about to go into the promised land without him. And we have a whole long chapter of Moses blessing the people of Israel rather than wailing and being bitter about, I can't go in with you. God won't let me. Well, I want to go in with you. He didn't talk like that. He said, this is God's way, and I'm not going to quit on God. His plan, the story he's telling, which is not always to my liking, is a good story. I'm not going to quit. So back to my original question as I draw this message to pretty close to a close. Why did God take so long to tell a depressing story of a prophet's failure? Maybe you're like me. I'd rather read stories of victory. When I was a kid, one of my heroes was Superman, the invincible man of steel who could defeat the enemy and fight against evil and all the bad things that were happening. Well, I'd rather hear a story of um, David killing Goliath. I'd rather hear stories of victory. But here's the point. This is the central point of all that I'm saying about this, one of my initial talks on the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a story of victory, the kind of victory that's available to me, the kind of victory that's available to you. Even if a loved one dies, and we pray that it won't happen, of course, but God has not guaranteed that your loved one's not going to die from coronavirus. They might. You might get infected. You might die. Your business may have gone under. 
and you're wondering, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? I'm not sure if I like the story you're telling. If I take one lesson, there are many others we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks, but if I take one lesson from this, um, this particular perspective on Jeremiah's life, what I come up with is this. The next slide says this. God, what you value most is not success as we define it. You value perseverance through discouragement. You value faithfulness despite adversity. Don't assume that your Christian life, maybe now especially during pandemic days, and even when it's over, what's going to happen next? Other difficulties, other financial problems, other relational problems, other difficulties with children, with marriages, with friendships. A lot of things are, are there to discourage a Christian's journey on the narrow road. Perseverance through discouragement. God, I'm not going to quit on you. I'm going to stay faithful to you, despite whatever adversity comes my way. So what we have, as I wrap it up, two powerful examples of perseverance and faithfulness. Perseverance through discouragement, faithfulness through adversity. Two powerful examples. Moses, if you're going to treat me this way, I'd rather you kill me. He persevered. God, I've been faithful to you, and there are people who want to kill me. They've beaten me up. they put me in stocks. They've dumped me into a well. That's another part of Jeremiah's story. Jeremiah got really frustrated. At one time in Jeremiah 20, he said, God, you've seduced me. You've tricked me into this ministry, and it's just everything's failing, and I don't like it at all. Talk about discouragement and adversity for Moses and Jeremiah. Neither man quitted. Two incredible examples for my journey, maybe perhaps for your journey as well. But of course, the obvious sentence, but don't take it lightly. Jesus is the supreme example. Think of the obvious. He died on Friday. We're now living on Saturday. Sunday's coming. Perseverance, perseverance and faithfulness leads to painful joy. There's pain in the Christian journey. Is there joy? The joy of knowing that I am the man God called me to be. I'm becoming that man. I'm becoming that woman. I'm becoming that Christian. I'm going to stay faithful to him no matter what. You're delighting God. You're moving his story forward. You don't know how many people's lives you're, 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 you're influencing, you're making a difference to. We're living on Saturday, but Sunday's coming, and perseverance and faithfulness is going to lead to painful joy now. But when Sunday comes in its fullness, and Jesus returns, we're going to know resurrection joy with no pain. Listen to what Jesus essentially said one late Thursday night, and this is the supreme example of perseverance and difficulties. This is my paraphrase of what he said in Gethsemane. Tuesday night he's talking, Father, can you deliver me from crucifixion on Friday? Will you? I know you can, but will you? If not, I will persevere and remain faithful to your call on my life, no matter the cost. That's the example. That's the Christian life that I want to live, the Christian life you want to live. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean just to enjoy all the blessings. Certainly, whatever blessings you have, enjoy. But whatever trials you have, persevere, remain faithful. Jesus did. Why? Well, he knew what was coming for one reason. So do we. What's coming is going to make every trial we've experienced in this life seem as nothing 
but that's not now, but it is coming. Well, next week, I want to discuss a second question. I have three questions I want to be thinking in this series in Jeremiah. The first is, why the long book on a failed prophet's ministry? But the second question that I want to ask is, why did nobody listen to Jeremiah? He was speaking God's word. I hear God's word from my pastor. I read God's word in the Bible because God speaks his word to me through the Bible. Is there something in me that wants to veer away from the extremity sometimes of God's word? What was the culture into which Jeremiah was speaking that made it difficult, maybe impossible in some way, for them to receive Jeremiah's word as God's word? And maybe they were listening to other prophets while they actually were. The Jeremiah book tells us that. They had false prophets who were teaching what they claimed to be God's word, but it wasn't. And the Jewish culture received false teaching well. Is that happening in our culture today? Are there false prophets? Is there false teaching going on in evangelical world, in the Christian world more broadly? What is that? What's going on that makes it difficult for you and I as followers of Jesus to hear God's sometimes difficult, but always profoundly good word. Those are my thoughts. Let me just briefly talk to the Lord about this. Father, you've scripted a story that doesn't always look good to us, but we know you're good. So we know the story is good. It's a larger story than the one we can see. And yet your servant Paul told us to fix our eyes on a larger story. And God, um, Lord Jesus, you're fully God as well. And you paid the incredible price to let us know, number one, that we, our sins can be forgiven and we can come into your presence as sinful people who are now saints, still sinners, but saints in your sight. And Spirit of God, you're in us to keep us from quitting, to encourage us, to keep us moving on. I pray that these simple little talks on Jeremiah will accomplish whatever purposes you have. We know that if it's your word, your purpose will be accomplished, whether I see it or other people see it, but it's going to be accomplished. So I commit this time this message to your purposes in my life and the life of everybody that's listening. I ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. To subscribe, visit LargerStory.com.